Welcome to the Victoria Anarchist Book Fair's week of podcasts and performances featuring local, national, and international activists and authors. The Book Fair Collective and From Embers have teamed up this year to release presentations over our podcast platform that can't be held in person due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Recordings of these voices of resistance were conducted on unceded Indigenous territories across so-called British Columbia and beyond. For more information about the book fair and a full schedule of online events, you can check out victoriaanarchistbookfair.ca. Listeners in the Victoria region are encouraged to visit Camus Books at camus.ca for anarchist publications and more. Thanks for listening. The following recording was made on the traditional territory of the Hamalco First Nation on my end and Leicestershire, England on the end of Ruth Kenna. The Victoria Anarchist Book Fair Collective acknowledges the Lekwungen and Wasanic peoples also known as the Songhees and Esquimalt Nations and the Saanich Nation, whose occupied traditional territories we organize, live our lives, work, play, and hold our events upon. What follows is a discussion that largely revolves around resistance against social domination. And with this discussion, we might consider our parts to play and the relationships we build in resisting and overthrowing colonial domination, lest our resistance falls slightly short of an end that we here in so-called British Columbia recognize as the central anti-authoritarian struggle of our lives. My name is Psalm, pronouns they, them. I'm a member of the Victoria Anarchist Book Fair Collective. Ruth Kinna is a professor of political philosophy at Loughborough University. She is and has been part of many research groups, associations, and societies, all having one thing or another to do with anarchism. She's written The Beginner's Guide to Anarchism, as well as a book on William Morris, subtitled The Art of Socialism, and many, many others. But the book we discuss in this conversation is her most recent to date. It's called The Government of No One, The Theory and Practice of Anarchism. Our conversation focuses mainly on this very interesting book. The recording will begin uh, halfway through a thought about schooling as a form of social conditioning. Unfortunately, due to a glitch, we lose the very beginning. Uh, Sorry, Ruth. But what follows is a conversation I'm so grateful to have had, and I hope you all enjoy it too. Schooling and instruction and how that shift, um, or what that shift tells us about the kinds of systems, that, the kinds of social systems that we're being indoctrinated into, that we're being introduced into such that our I mean this is something that comes up very strongly as well in with later people like um Paul Goodman that that schooling puts you on a kind of a treadmill on a, a sort of a process through which your life is then structured um and you become something through it and some people benefit from that in 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 many ways but most people don't actually um, and what the anarchist is trying to do is to say, yeah, but why do we have education and what is education doing? And, and what is this greater sort of process of acculturation or, or socialization about? And how can we at one at the same time recognize that, that when we bring people into our communities, be they children or, or just other people, other adults, that we're 
that we are sort of introducing them to sets of rules, um, but that we're trying to become aware of those rules such that, that, they're, that they're negotiable and that we're not then just putting people on particular tracks whereby they have to adopt our practices unquestioningly, uh, but they can contribute to the development of those practices in a cooperative manner and spirit. And I think that's really what, what anarchist education is about. Yeah, totally. Um, do you think that we've uh, made progress in this regard over time? <laughs> we being um, oh. societies? Oh, that's an interesting no. question, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of uh, in in some way that's sort of where we end up, right? Like uh, in the um, uh, near the end of the book, we kind of come to this conclusion that it's been this like super hard fought battle. But in the end, like you know, are we struggling with kind of the same issues, these same forces? And in in many senses, like yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. I think we are. And and um, but 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 that's I don't. What I try and do at the end of the book is to say you shouldn't be disheartened by that, it, because it's a matter of it's always a matter of 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 winning people and spaces over. And and people do that in different ways in different situations, and and they have to make decisions about how they do that in different times and different places. Um, but but in terms of of education itself, I mean. Um, I think that I, th I always think there's enormous potential in, in the existing, even in the existing frameworks, but no, I mean, I, as things are, are developing, as things have certainly in the UK have, have, have developed in education. No, it's, it's, it's all very, it's all very depressing. I think. CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria offers our listeners programming that focuses on innovative, diverse Canadian local and underrepresented voices find us online at cfuv.ca Okay, well, let me um, let me maybe try again, though, because like uh, so we have this this concept of like state sanctioned liberties, right? Like maybe property is one of these like super unimpressive um, state sanctioned liberties. Um, I wonder if uh, I wonder if we've made any progress in this regard, like in um, in our societies, for example, do you think that anarchism has. Oh, we, you talk in the book about the the um, the eight hour workday. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, um, and maybe we can attribute this to anarchism in action. Um, are there other things that we can look at that sort of alleviate the burden that have alleviated the burden over time of these dominant forces? So, um, I think there are always um, not trade offs, but balances between. Uh, the ways we see things and, and what happens in, in practice, if you like. But, but both of those things are important. But I mean, if, if we think about property, um, I mean, you know, we live in, in regimes where, where property is enshrined, private property, exclusive rights to private property, where we have, um, in, you know, in huge monopolies, um, 
of property ownership where we have these massive corporations and and things can look again very very bleak in terms of the protections that that those kinds of corporations have and yet at the same time we have an awareness of of of, of commoning of sharing um physically and um virtually so we have created commons licenses we have access to uh, all kinds of resources on the web that people can share and they do this for free. Uh, we have copyleft, we have all of these things. We have um, groups of people across the world uh, who are questioning property regimes from um, indigenous people in, in uh, Canada to Australia. We have people who are contesting the ways in which um, property plays out exclusively so we have anti-gentrification campaigns there are all kinds of, of things going on so i think it's easy to lose sight of of the of the resistances if you like that that come to to um that, that raise their heads um and we tend to to just think oh well nothing has changed we still have this property regime we still have these these rights which are exclusive and which are damaging but i think you know there are there are uh, questions that we can ask about that and also sort of um, positive movements that we can see that move against them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's true. I really appreciate how methodically you've gone through and documented this stuff in your book. Um, it's, uh, it's like one of the most concise and dense histories that I can remember reading. Um, I wonder how long the research process was or if your writing process intersects with your research process. So, um, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I love, I love reading about anarchists and, and I love reading anarchism. I love, um, I like the characters. I like the people. I like the, I like the ideas. So I, I, I read continuously. Um, and I suppose what you see in the book is, is, um, I mean, I, the, the people I've left out is, is shocking actually. When I think about who's <laughs> not in there. Um, and it, and it's always selective. It's always a kind of a snapshot of the time because I suppose the writing process, um, I tended to write the chapters in, in, uh, pretty intense periods of, of time. And I, and I just wanted to concentrate on the, on the theme and, and I guess the people who made it into the book were just people who, who came into my head because they came first, I guess. But the choices in that sense were sort of random because I think you could turn to, there's so much in, in anarchism. It's such a rich tradition. It's such a rich field that there are, you know, I could have replaced everyone in the book with another, another 10 different people um, and talked about the same ideas from different kinds of perspectives. But, you know, um, I guess it's um, it's always selective. That's what I'm trying to say. It's always a snapshot. It's always a work in process. That's that's I think that's how I see it. Huh. Yeah. I mean, does it does it build from an outline out or is it kind of just like I have to write this and I will and then fit it in? So, no, there is a there is an outline, but the outline is is rather shifting. <laughs> <laughs> so. As as you start, I mean that's always the way for me anyway that I write. That I I think I know what I'm going to say, and then as you start to say it, 
uh, you look at something slightly differently or, or the ideas, you know, the look slightly, they raise different kinds of problems and questions. And, and so the, um, the argument sort of unfolds, um, more fluidly than, than, than you, than you start off. And, and then there's a huge editing process. So, I mean, the, the book was probably, um, another couple of, or maybe even 10,000 words longer the draft oh, wow. first draft and then it got edited down um yeah to make it a bit neater <laughs> yeah and then it's got at the near the end there's that really cool sort of microbiography, right you just hit us with all these little biographies and as i was reading that i was just thinking like this must have been so fun to write to condense it was fun to write yeah yeah no and i then it became obsessive um, and again, and that also got cut down quite a lot. And um, uh, but the stories, the, the stories of the people, I think, are really important. Um, and the and the uh, the lives that these the, the lives that people have led are, are important parts of, of of what goes on. I think in 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 anarchism itself. I mean, I, I wanted. I, I think I said it. I tried to say at the beginning of the book that. Um, yeah, you know, anarchism is 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 made up of the people who who identify as anarchists, and and they're not all saints, and they're they're flawed, and they're you know they're people, they're human, and, and but they they give their best, and and what I wanted to do with those biographies was was capture some of it. Yeah, um, yeah, like the okay, so the book has this like really interesting uh, character aspect where you take us through all these different people, but it's also. Uh, it's also largely there to frame these certain tensions that exist within the anarchism project. And, um, you know, one of them that I think is really interesting and challenging to me, uh, just coming from a place of anti-authoritarianism, you're looking for it, but then in, in, in some cases you find authority or domination imposing itself um, in the form of uh, a collective or just mm -hmm. in some moment you're encountering uh, a non-consensual uh, occurrence of force within your scene. Um, but you take on this um, quite large issue of uh, conditions and um, uh, constitutions within yeah. anarchism. Uh, I wonder if we could talk about that for a minute. Yeah. So um, I suppose one of the things I wanted to, um, yeah, so there's a chapter on conditions, which includes a number of constitutions. So, so one of the tensions, I guess, in anarchism is um, if you start off from an anti-authoritarian position, then there's a question about how far you want to avoid um, permanence in terms of rules and um, institutions and norms and how far you want to avoid rules, institutions and norms. And those two things are, are different. So one of the, one of the responses that, that arises in anarchism um, is that what we want to do to avoid, as anti-authoritarians, one of the things we want to do is to avoid any single permanent fixed authority. We want to avoid any any particular reference point that says this is what you have to do in this situation or this is the person you ask 
in order to resolve the difference that you have. Um, and what the anarchist says is that um, we must we must always avoid having that single point of reference because life is messy and because we can't you know everything is contingent we can't as soon as we we give ourselves into to that kind of fixed authority then actually we are going to subordinate ourselves and other people in the process but that doesn't mean to say that we can't have frameworks within which we try and work out how we resolve these issues or problems because if you if you if as an anti-authoritarian you assume that people think differently people act differently they have different value systems different belief systems and all the rest of it you have to assume that there's going to be conflicts so the question is well how do you resolve those conflicts or how do you enable people to resolve those conflicts themselves without falling back into some kind of uh, permanent centralized fixed authority so some some anarchists propose that what we should do is we should think about our organizational frameworks we should think about our principles and we can we can we don't have to write them down but some people do um, and we can modify them and as long as they're transparent and they are modifiable um, then we're not permanently enslaving ourselves to a set of of regulations that that we then find are are um oppressive and then you know the, the critique of that which is also within the anarchist tradition is but anything that you do that's along those lines is inevitably going to be enslaving so yeah. we must resist that at all times and, and and those two positions are often presented as being oppositional and unbridgeable and it seems to me that they they're not that they're both actually healthy anarchist responses to a problem of authority and and they both work in tandem and you know if we forget that all authority is oppressive then actually our rule books might themselves become um rather dangerous things um but again if we think that there are no rules then we may veer towards um a, a failure of cooperation um we may we may cut ourselves off from from those negotiations and discussions that actually build solidarities. So I think those things go together, although they're presented as different kinds of conditions. Yeah, yeah, and like we could maybe we could maybe talk about Paul Goodman now. Just in his, he has this <laughs> this uh, advice that he has the will to be brave, uh, which is kind yeah, of yeah, cool. Yeah. That's interesting. But before before we get to Goodman, uh, which I really want to do, um, Alan has asked me to talk to you about mutual aid and Kropotkin. Right. And maybe <laughs> maybe this is the perfect place to slot that, right? Um, because uh, mutual aid as a framework is maybe a way to sow solidarity in the face of this tension. That's right. Um, so yes. Yeah, so I yes. Yeah, so I. Th- I've, yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously it's the central concept for 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 Kropotkin. So Kropotkin writes the book Mutual Aid: A Factor of Evolution, and and the whole idea of mutual aid is um, that it. I mean, it, it does two things, I guess, or three things, I guess. I mean, one, it describes a um, a principle of of thin sociability. So so the argument of mutual aid is um, against against mainstream political philosophy, if you like that. The idea of the idea that we that you can think of us as, as separate individuals is simply a fiction. 
That's not how people live. People are brought into the world, into families, into communities, into societies. And those societies generate their own rules and regulations, and they may be more or less oppressive. But nevertheless, in a very thin sense, we are sociable creatures. We live in groups. We do not, as a, as a rule, live in isolation. And the second thing that mutual aid does is to say, well, you know, if it's true that we're sociable and we live in groups and we generate these rules and, and regulations that, that, that shape our lives, then how can we go about thinking about those rules in ways that are productive and which benefit us as individuals in groups? And the second thing, this is the, the argument that Kropotkin wants to make, and he sort of says, well, if we think of mutual aid as, a, as an ethical principle in that sense of sociability, uh, then we can start elaborating um, a framework within which we can think about how to expand the, the realm of mutual aid, which means how we can cooperate with each other as equals rather than build relationships which are based on domination or exploitation. It's much better for us all to live cooperative lives according to particular ethics. And, and the third thing he, he says is that, well, if we want to think about this, then what we should, the way that we should think about that is not to, to think about, um, inverted commas, utopian schemes. What we have to think about is sociological um, experiments. So what kinds of societies have enabled mutual aid as an ethic to flourish? And, and he goes back into history and he looks at anthropology and he says, well, you know, the best kind of societies are those where people can share things. So you don't have individual property um, and where people trust each other. So the rules are made by everybody um, and where people are brought into to close relationships with each other. So decentralized federation is much better than uh, than a centralized structure, which which leads you to live rather sort of alienated and isolated lives. So mutual aid is a theory of organization. It's a theory of ethics and it's also a theory of sociability. Um, and, and I think it's, um, I mean, different anarchists will understand or will, will see the, the organizational aspects of, of mutual aid in different ways. They'll recommend different kinds of, of practices um, and, and different kinds of ethics as well to a certain extent. But the principle of mutual aid as a, as a way of, of maximizing our cooperative potential, I think, is a, is a, a central theme in, in pretty much all anarchism. Hmm. Yeah. And you say Kropotkin was uh, um, opposed to utopianism? Um, well, he's, he's opposed to utopianism if utopianism means that we can dream up abstract, we, or we can work on the basis of principle and apply principle in practice so that we can say, right, so the best society is the society where people are free and freedom means that everybody has uh, a right to property. So right. that's an abstract way of thinking. And then you sort of say, right, so how do we realize this? He's, a, he's, he's definitely a utopian in a different sense, which is to say um, since, there's, since everything in history is contingent um, and the only way that you can bring about better states of being is through your own activity. It's actually quite a good idea to have a, to have a, a notion of what your aims and aspirations are and to share those with other people. 
So to work towards a goal and to elaborate that goal in utopian terms because it doesn't exist and maybe it's something that you can never fully accomplish, that's actually a positive thing to do for Kropotkin. Right. Yeah. And now, now I would love to square this with uh, Goodman, um, who, and I'd never really thought about it like this before, but to, you know, to deny people the ability to, um, you know, arbitrate the details of their own lives or, or convince them that it's appropriate to abdicate their own personal responsibility with um, rigid systems that, you know, are fixed, fixed relationships and so on. He refers to it as like the widely, a widely deployed, uh, poor, poor design, right? Just cascading poor designs that are the result of this. And then he sort of proposes, um, certain utopian ideas, right? Um, and, uh, right. I just wonder, yeah, I wonder how that squares with Kropotkin, but maybe we could just fully just go into Goodman now. Yeah, well, I, I think actually, I mean, Goodman also has, I mean, Goodman has, I think, quite a complicated, I mean, a, a complex idea of utopias. And, and, mm. and, and like Kropotkin, he also tempers them with, with a sort of a realism, if you like. So, I mean, in Communitas, he, he sets out three kinds of ideal type societies, only one of which is one that he identifies with. But he says, you can't, you know, these are going to be, you, you couldn't possibly imagine, um, realizing any of these ideal types as ideal types and you would also have to think about the cultural constraints in terms of the societies and the times in which you were working so not not all worlds are possible at all the same time that's one mm-hmm. of the things he says but the other thing he does is his he does he presents a kind of an image of of um white goods america post-war you know consumer society uh this highly technocratic, bureaucratic, um, managerial, but, you know, perfectly clean, crisp, mechanized uh, utopia. And he calls it a utopia. And against that, he, he, he then moves and says, but that's not our utopia, right? This is the utopia that deadens people, that causes them to you know, take handfuls of drugs just to take away the, the pain of, 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 of everyday life. And uh, it ghettoizes people and it, it turns them into to bored, um, you know, hopeless, despairing individuals. But it is a utopia. And it's one that, that I suppose he calls it that because he wants to draw our attention to the fact that, you know, someone did dream this up and managed to impose it on the rest of us. Yeah. So actually, you know, we, we should feel empowered, if you like, to resist it and, and build our own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He makes this distinction of possibility and choice. Yeah. Right. And that this this goes both ways. Right. It's not like it's not like just people who are in pursuit of like true whatever that would look like liberty like the pe- people are seizing possibilities to bring us closer to these like dystopian states. Yes. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, and, and, and he also puts education at the heart of that actually, or miseducation as he calls it. Um, right. So, so that's, that's, an, that's an integral part of the system for him. Um, and he wants us to sort of, you know, part of the re-education, I think that Paul Goodman 
recommends for us is is to to find our authentic selves. I mean, which is you know quite a difficult thing to do. But he doesn't think. I think you know in the end, uh, the the system dominates us, but it doesn't control us. You know, we can we can uh, push back. Right. Is this where your just uh, is this where your interest in Sterner comes in? Because he seems <laughs> like totally fixated on this this particular subject, right? So I'm not, a, I mean, you know, I find Sterner very uh, troubling in many yeah. ways. Um, but I guess, I mean, the, there are things that I really like about Sterner. And one of, one of those is um, his, his sort of blistering um, attack on uh, the idea of, of the common good as something that's institutionalized and used against individuals to coerce them. So the idea, so this comes, I mean, this all comes from a sort of a critique of, of, um, of German philosophy um, refracted through the lens of, of the French Revolution. And, and basically what he's saying is that, you know, what, what happens in the French Revolution, you know, people, people, are, people represent the, the French Revolution as the great break from autocracy. And the you know the start of the reign of liberty, um, and, and, and Sterner says, but you know, but, but actually, what's happened is that it's the autocracy has shifted. We don't now have um, these absolutist monarchs who can who can simply dictate what happens to us at their arbitrary whim, but now we have this idea of of humanity and what it means to be a free person. And that's legislated. Um, but we also have this moral, this idea of what it is to be free morally. And to be free morally is to do what's good for the collective, whether or not it's good for you. And if you resist that, actually, you can be made to conform. So he calls it Jesuitical because he says, you know, what's happened in the state is that the state has controlled this or has this idea of, of, of the good it structures society accordingly and if you resist the good say so if if the if the good is that you have to be conscripted and go and fight in some war somewhere and you say i don't want to do that then you can be compelled or you can be killed because in the end your rebellion is it's much better for the state to to deal with you as a potential rebel because the common good is all and anything that, that disrupts that good has to be uh, annihilated. And that's the annihilation of the individual. And, and, and all of that, I think, is, is, is so well put in Sterner. Um, and I don't think it's, it's, it's unique to Sterner. I think that's what Sterner has to say about that idea of a common good. This idea of, uh, you know, someone knows best what your, what your moral freedom consists of. I think that's actually a, a, an idea that's shared quite widely across the anarchist spectrum. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that there are <laughs> other people who have definitely uh, more tempered uh, yeah. analysis of this sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, you know, like I was just really surprised to see him in here. And you, you mainly work from this text, The False Principle of Our Education. Yeah, it's education. Um, yeah, which is an article that he wrote and like not from 
uh, the ego in its own, which I think is rare. Like you don't see many people interpreting from a text like this. So yeah, I just thought it was really cool. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, I suppose it's interesting because he's writing just at the point at which uh, he perceives the, a shift in, in education policy that I think still resonates with us. And, and the shift is one that, that says, you know, it, it, he's, he's drawing a, he's saying basically um, mass school systems, universal school systems will destroy the principles on which they're based, which is actually a humanist process of, of self-development but that process of self-development has always been predicated on an idea of of a of a of, of, of an enslaved society in which only the elite are educated and so he's drawing at um he's drawing our attention to the tension if you like between uh an elitist system and a mass system and that i think still exists in our own education systems yeah right on um you know like a lot of these ideas i think to some degree are um oh intuitive like a lot of people come to these anti-authoritarian conclusions without knowing the material necessarily um and it makes me think about like because you mentioned um safer spaces policies uh-huh. as as kind of like one of these intuitions in action. Um, I wonder if we could talk about like how contemporary uh, radical movements that are not necessarily associated with anarchy have this, have this um, uh, resemblance. Yeah, yeah. So I think, um, so one of the things I like about anarchism is that it does blur the, the, the boundaries between anarchy and anarchism. So one of the things I try and say at the end of the book is that, you know, anarchists are not, are not trying to, to get people to sign up to stuff. I mean, they put a lot of ideas out there and they put a lot of proposals out there, but the idea of anarchism is not to turn you into an anarchist. The idea of anarchism is to enable people to, to come to their own judgments and work collectively with other people on the basis that, as I say, that they'll have, different kinds of belief systems, different values, you know, we're not all going to become suddenly brainwashed into some singular ethic or politics. So the anarchists, I mean, if, you know, and, and there are risks in that because if you, if you say as an anarchist that, that I think it's preferable for people to come to their own um, judgments and arrangements and devise their own systems of organization, then it may well be that they'll devise things that you don't approve of. They'll adopt practices that you don't like. And I guess one of the things that, that, that Safe Spaces is about is, is, um, is highlighting the extent to which that sense is actually, as you say, intuitive. So, when people decide to get together and for a common purpose, you know, what do they do? Do they immediately elect someone to, to determine everything for them? I don't think they do. What, you know, one of the things they do is to say, let's, let's think about how we're going to, to organize and how, and what the rules of our interactions are going to be so that we can 
actually make the most of 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 all of the the resources that we collectively share to reach our common goal um and safer spaces is part of that so you don't have to be an anarchist to to think about safer spaces but it is inherently anarchistic <laughs> well gee i mean i wonder if there's uh if there's anything else uh you'd like to talk about or bring up um, um before we close out here i'm just trying to think um no it's been really it's been really good fun i've really enjoyed it yeah, well, thank you so much, Ruth, for uh, entertaining this whole process with me. <laughs> um, yeah, like I say, I, I feel I really had to rise to the occasion to uh, to meet you here. And I am no, so... No, I've really enjoyed it. It's been great yeah. fun. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, and um, have a great day or a great evening, Yeah, well, as it good were. luck with the book fair. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. See you later. Okay. You're listening to CFUV 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded, unsurrendered territories of the Hussainic and Lekwungen peoples, this land now referred to as Victoria. CFUV is proud to amplify Indigenous, Femme, and Queer voices on our airwaves. To see a full spectrum of our programs, please visit CFUV.ca. Take it back, give it back, or we'll take it back. Give it back, or we'll take it back. Give it back, or we'll take it back. We did it your way, now it's our way. I make them run without a gun. I make them run, and I get it done. I make them run without a gun. I make them run, and I get it done. Hurt government feelings I give a zero fuck about indigenous healing Criminalize, dehumanize Justin out here buying pipelines Where is all our clean water? Where is all our daughters? This is stolen land, dummy Queen need better have my money ODB Genocide on you and me Genocide on your hands Genocide on these lands Genocide on your hands Genocide on these lands We did it your way Now it's our way Fuck your way Give it back Or we'll take it back Give it back 
Now you 
shook in your boots Seeing the strength of these roots Growing deep in the ground Giving life into sound Like seeing my unborn child's ultrasound Descendants of my future Descendants of my future Descendants of our ancestors Ancestors in the sky Like diamonds strung along the universe Making our way, doing our way what you got? What you got? What you not? What you not? What you got? What you not? What you not? What you not? What you got? What you not? What you got? What you not? What you got? What you not? I got what they want, doing what they can't. I got what they want, doing what they can't. Got what they want, doing what they can't. The Student of Color Collective was created to support and empower Black, Indigenous, and people of color at the University of Victoria. Due to the pandemic, our physical space and library in the sub are closed. However, we still offer many of our services online. We offer social justice programming and support resources that highlight issues relevant to the BIPOC community. We also organize culturally relevant events for our members. To receive our monthly newsletter, other regular updates, or to get in touch, email socc at uvss.ca or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is SOC Collective. Say a little prayer to uplift your spirit. Burn sage in the air to uplift your spirit. You can braid your hair to uplift your spirit. Practice self care to uplift your spirit. Help our elders on to uplift your spirit. Keep our children strong to uplift your spirit. Sing ancestor songs to uplift your spirit. For the ones who have gone to uplift your spirit. Lost a friend today, another illness. Wifey called to say it looks serious Said I would pay him a little visit To sit and pray and lift his spirits We sat and talked, I sat and listened We talked about life, we talked about religion We talked about our years of friendship Reminiscing on how we fight the system He told me keep the faith and forget the critics The people hate, they don't get it do it for the children, show them no limits Hear it in your lyrics, and lift their spirits Do it for the elders, and let them know you're fearless They hear it in your lyrics, and it lifts their spirits Even though he passed, you can't kill his spirit Say a little prayer, to uplift your spirit Burn sage in the air, to uplift your spirit You can braid your hair to uplift your spirit Practice self-care To uplift your spirit Help our elders on To uplift their spirit Keep our children strong To uplift their spirit Sing ancestor songs To uplift their spirit For the ones who have gone To uplift their spirit
Looking for your fix of hardcore, punk, metal, noise, and other affiliated genres? Then tune in to the Action Index on Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. for two hours of loud music. It is Victoria's longest-running hardcore radio show, only on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Victoria. 